You know, I have been internalizing the question that I want to challenge you with, and I want to challenge each one of you to think about that, not just today, but in the coming days. How loyal a person am I? Am I a loyal spouse? Am I a loyal employer? Am I a loyal employee? Am I a loyal parent to my children? Am I loyal to my parents? Am I a loyal business partner? Am I a loyal church member? Am I a loyal friend to my friends? Am I loyal to Jesus? You get the point. It's just some of the areas in which loyalty can manifest itself. Because loyalty is an issue of the heart. It's the attitude of the heart. And the loyal person is loyal in every area of life. Someone would say, well, I am loyal to my company because I get a paycheck. Well, that's not the kind of loyalty I'm talking about. In fact, Proverbs 25.13 said, a loyal employee is as refreshing as a cool day in the summertime. Someone said a loyal friend is the one who comes in when others leave. Loyalty is the attitude of the heart. And I want you to hear me right on this one. Because it does not mean a loyal person may never fail at any point, at some point. It does not mean that that loyal person may mess up sometime. It does not mean that that loyal person doesn't drop the ball Sometime. It doesn't mean that this loyal person may forget sometime. These are all temporary and circumstantial. But I'm talking about the attitude of the heart of loyalty. And that is why loyalty is a long term, not in short bursts. Loyalty is proved by its longevity and not a flash in the pan. Uh, loyalty is proved in time and by time. Let me illustrate. Virtually every couple that will take their vows, their marriage vows, they have every intention of fulfilling these vows. They really do. I've done enough weddings to know they really, really do. But here's the problem. Most couples do not give much attention or thought to what I call the ending of the phrases in the vows. These are the poorer, the worse, (laughs) and the sickness. They don't think about those last parts. You know why? Because they are so filled with dreams and hopes and expectations, and they focus only on the first part of these phrases, the richer, the better, and the health. That's where their focus is. And I was wondering about this, and I said, you know, maybe that's the Lord's way of kind of making us that way so we can even get married. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens when reality sets in, and we begin to experience those ending of the phrases of the vows, (laughs) there are some people who literally freak out. Why? Because the last part of these phrases are the real test of loyalty in marriage. They're the real test. 
It's like the little girl who got three of her friends and said, let's play wedding. And being the organizer, she said, uh, Sue, you will be the groom, and Jenny, you will be the preacher, and Amy, you will be the bridesmaid, and I'm going to be the bride. So they start playing wedding. And the preacher said to the bride, would you take this groom for richer or poorer? She said, richer, of course. (laughs) Yeah. How real sometimes those kids are. (laughs) But that's not how God enters into a covenant with us, to be the bride of Christ. When God enters a covenant with a believer who comes to Him and put their faith and trust and receive Jesus as the only Savior of their soul and the Lord of their life. When that happens, a covenant takes place between us and God. And when God enters into that covenant with us, He would say to us by name, Bob, Joe, Sue, Jenny, I take you to be part of my bride. In foolishness and in wisdom, I take you when you are loyal to me and when you occasionally deny me before men, when you seek me with all of your heart, and when you set your affections on other things. I take you when you walk with me and in the times when you try to run away from my will. I take you when you're healthy or sick. I take you when you are on a spiritual high or down in the dumps. I take you when you are encouraged or discouraged. I take you when you are listening to my voice alone or when you only listen to the counsel of your own voice. I take you when you are faithful to me with all of you and all of your resources and when you use them on your own selfish ends. Why? Why does God do that? Why does God do that? Because loyalty and God are synonymous. Because God's name is loyalty. The Bible said He is faithful even when we are not faithful because He cannot deny Himself. In the last message, we saw Abraham's setbacks. We saw his detours. We saw his failures. We saw his lies and we saw his fears. But say what you will about Abraham. When Abraham grew in his knowledge of Jehovah, when Abraham grew in his understanding of who God is, when Abraham grew in his fellowship with God, when Abraham grew in his trust in God, when Abraham grew in his faith in God, he became so committed to God, he became so loyal to God that God chose to call him my very special friend. Psychology Today polled 40,000 Americans a few years ago, and they asked, what are the three things that you are looking for in a friend? Number three, it was warmth and affection. Number two was loyalty. Number one was keeping confidences. And it is not surprising, therefore, that the Scripture often tells us, as in Psalm 25, 14, that the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear Him. God is not going to trust His secrets with people who are not loyal to Him. He is not going to entrust them with His heart when they are not loyal to Him. In other words, God entrusts 
His loyal children with the very secrets of His heart. Listen to me. God loves all His children all the time under all circumstances, but He gives His secrets only to those who have demonstrated loyalty to the living God. Listen to what Amos said in 3.7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret counsel to His servants, the prophets. You see, in the Old Testament, true prophets will become known as loyal to Jehovah. And because of the loyalty to Jehovah, Amos can say that God entrusts them with His secrets. In the New Testament, all the believers in Jesus Christ are called priests. They are called prophets. We are called priests and prophets in the New Testament. And therefore, the question that you and I must face is this, how loyal are we? Perhaps this principle has never been better illustrated than when God was about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, before He was about to send the sulfur and burn the twin cities. What did God do? He confided in Abraham, His friend, before He acted. He said to him, Abraham, the cup of iniquity of Sodom and Gomorrah is filled to the brim. I have been waiting patiently for them to repent, but they refuse. The time has come for judgment. Can't you hear God saying that to us today? I just wanted you to know, Abraham, what I'm about to do before I do it, because I entrust you. You have become my loyal friend, and I'm going to give you my secret. Beloved, I want to tell you something. Listen to me. There is no greater joy in life. There is no greater privilege in life. There is no greater honor in life. There is no greater purpose in life. There is no greater fulfillment in life. There is no greater contentment in life. There is no greater excitement in life than to be called the friend of God. And when Abraham heard this God confiding in him, his secret, Out of compassion, he began to intercede with his friend, Jehovah God, and says, God, my nephew, my compromising nephew, my sinning nephew, my nephew who is putting one foot in the world and one foot with you, my nephew Lot is about to be burnt with that city, and he and his family, and he begins to intercede on behalf of his compromising nephew, and God says, Abraham, because of you and because of our friendship, I will save your nephew and his family. And God did. So the question is this, what qualified Abraham to be called friend of God? What qualifies us to be called friends of God? His absolute loyalty to the Lord. His total obedience. We saw the time of partial obedience in his early walk in the last message. But now it is total obedience. Now it's complete surrender. Now it is utter trust in Jehovah. Now it's unqualified self-giving. And so now I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he, Abraham, to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. Abraham reasoned that God is able to raise men even from the dead. 
And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Father, please allow our spiritual eyes to be open today so that we would see these wonderful truths. Then allow our spiritual ears to be open that we may hear these wonderful truths. And above all, Father, let our hearts be open so that we may obey them and live for your glory in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to think with me. When God made the promise to Abraham, He said, Abraham, Sarah will have a son. And they both of them, we're too old for this. But they said, well, if, you know, God can do it. But then God didn't do it. Do you know for how long? 25 years. I mean, they're getting old. And they look at the clock and they said, hey, we're not getting any younger. So for 25 years of waiting for God to fulfill His promise to them that they will have a son through Sarah. For 25 years, and during which there were some occasional mishaps, after 25 years of coming to the point of seeing the supernatural hand of God intervening in a 90-year-old body of a woman with a dead womb inside of her and gives birth to a healthy son, simply because God said so. Then comes the ultimate test. After they got Isaac, and Abraham loved that boy. When the Bible said he loved his son, it's really he became the total object of his affection. He became everything to him. That's really what it means. And then God says, hey, Abraham, Abraham, you know, I gave you Isaac supernaturally. Yes, Lord, thank you. I gave you Isaac after 25 years of waiting from the time I promised you to the time you had him. Yes, Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Abraham, are you willing to give me Isaac back? Huh? Are you willing to give me Isaac back? I don't want you to miss this drama. This is incredible. Sometimes we see junk on television and the movies and they call that drama. No, this is drama. And if you want to follow it, you can go to Genesis 22 at verse 2. Now God's speaking to Abraham. I'm talking about dramas. Abraham, take your son. Ah, he must be thinking about Ishmael. Uh-uh, no, no, no. I don't want you to misunderstand me, Abraham. Not Ishmael. Uh, take your son, your only son, and then, in case you think it's Ishmael again, Isaac, by name. But that's not all. Whom you love, who is the object of your total affection, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon a mountain where I'll show you. I mean, this has to be devastating. Lord, do you know what you're asking? Do you know what you're asking of me? But I want you to look at verse 3 now. Abraham didn't say that. He didn't ask. Verse 3 said, And Abraham rose early in the morning. Oh, give me a break. Well, (laughs) what are you talking? Are you kidding me? You mean he obeyed the Lord right away? I would have at least asked the Lord to give me six months to pray about it. (laughs) 
And I tell you, it's no secret that I would have taken those six months to basically not seek the mind of God, but try to change the mind of God. Here's what most of us, I think, would react if I read human nature well. <laughs> Lord, you know that this is my son of promise, your promise. Lord, you know this is my son of your supernatural intervention in Sarah's life and in my life. He is your miracle, Lord. Lord, you know this is my son who came out of Sarah's dead womb, Lord. Lord, you know this is my son who has become the total object of my affection and my love. Surely, You must know all of that, Lord, for you yourself have said, whom you love. Well, Lord, let's just forget about my heart that is broken into pieces right now. Let's just forget about that for a moment. Lord, let's just talk about what you said, Lord. You said through Isaac the Messiah will come. You said, through Isaac, salvation will come to the world. That through Isaac, my spiritual descendants will be. But you know what? I'm going to show you from the Word of God. That was never even occurred to Abraham to ask. Didn't even cross his mind. I'm going to show it to you from the Word of God. I don't make the stuff up, believe me. (laughs) That's not what he was thinking. Beloved, listen to me. That's what loyalty to Christ kicks in. Those are the times when loyalty kicks in. This is when you know (laughs) the God to be a loyal God and He's to be trusted completely. Do you know what Abraham was thinking? Well, according to verse 19 of Hebrews 11, here's what he was thinking. Okay, let me give it to you in Michael's translation. (laughs) Wow, Lord! (laughs) I'm going to be an eyewitness to a resurrection. Wow, I'm going to see God perform a much bigger miracle than a 90-year-old woman giving birth to a son. I'm going to see Yahweh do something that has never been done before since the creation. I am going to experience Jehovah in a completely new and exciting way. That's exactly what he was thinking. How do I know that? Verse 5 of Genesis 22. Abraham, Isaac, we don't know how many servants they took along with them, loaded the donkeys with all the stuff they're going to need for the offering, and they go into the foot of the mountain in which they will climb up to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And listen to what Abraham said to the servants, okay? Listen carefully. He said to them, Stay with the donkeys while I and the lad go over there to worship. You see, that was going to be a worship time for Abraham. That's why we say we worship God with our offerings. And we're going to worship, and then what's the next word? And we, can you say we? We. We'll come back to you. Wait a minute. He could have said, uh, you know, you wait here. I'll go up, knowing that he's going to offer his son. And then he said, I'll come back. No, 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 no. We, the boy and I, are coming back. (laughs) You see, the thought of sacrificing his son 
must have ripped his heart to a million pieces. But Abraham's total trust in his friend Jehovah empowered him to overcome, empowered him to expect a miracle, empowered him to anticipate God to do something far greater than he ever thought possible. His own loyalty to Jehovah was going to be met by far, far, far greater loyalty on Jehovah's part to his servant and his friend Abraham. Please listen to me. When you and I know God as our friend, as Abraham did, we will know that God will never, never, never go back on His Word. We will know God never renege on His promises. We will know that God will never, never take that son away permanently. He knew that God would not and indeed could not lie. And if we saw in Noah the duration of faith, we see in Abraham the depth of faith. And Isaac would not die, could not die. Abraham thought if he died, he would be raised again, supernaturally. And he was going up there, not to offer Isaac, but he was going there to witness a supernatural resurrection. (laughs) He did all this, not because God wanted Isaac, but to set up a type of what would happen 2,000 years later from that time of Abraham. 2,000 years later, when God sends His one and only begotten Son to die on a cross and then to rise again, so that whomsoever would come to Him and believe in Him will be resurrected. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him, let her deny himself and follow me. Jesus said to his disciples, you are my friends when you do whatever I command you. Again, Jesus said, henceforth, I call you not servants, I have called you my friends. Did you know that God really wants to be your friend? I got news for you. I don't think I'll be able to even comprehend this for the remaining years of my life until I get to heaven. And even then, I don't know that I fully comprehend that. God wants to be my friend. He wants to be your friend. He really does. And He wants you to be His friend. It's mind-boggling. It's incomprehensible. It blows your mind, as the kids would say. (laughs) But it's true. And so, I conclude with the The same question with which I began. How loyal are you? How loyal am I? God is loyal. You know that. And He's looking for loyal friends in order that He might express His loyalty in far greater way than you ever even thought possible. He said, but how can I manifest my loyalty to Christ? Listen carefully, please. By seeking His cause, not yours. By telling His truth, not yours. By acknowledging His gifts, not take credit for them. By waiting for His timing, not yours. And by dreaming of His glory, and not yours. I'm going to tell you this story, and then I'm going to conclude. Several years ago, 
a young Irishman by the name of Joseph Scriven. Joseph was engaged to a young woman with whom he was deeply in love. Joseph's love and loyalty to this young woman did not have to wait and be expressed in a marriage vow. It was complete. It was total. It was genuine. It was real. It was total loyalty. But tragedy struck. The night before the wedding, she was in a boat that capsized and she drowned. That loyalty and commitment was such that he could never transfer that to another woman. So he immigrated to Canada. And there he taught school. He became a private tutor. He gave so much of himself and his resources generously and graciously to the poor and to the destitute. He even sometimes gave his own clothing away. This loyal groom-to-be or not-to-be, as it is the case, took all of his loyalty, and he placed it on his beloved Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he knew that he will never leave him nor forsake him. He never had the joy of marriage of all his life, but he got to know his Savior as his dearest and most intimate friend. And from the depth of this loyalty and love for Christ, he penned these simple words. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful, so loyal? It's another word for it. Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friend despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he will take and shield you. You will find solace there. I pray that God will continuously imprint this question on the cortex of your brain and edging on your heart. Are you a loyal person? Are you a loyal person? Yeah, the Marines are always looking for a few good men, but do you know that God is looking for few loyal friends who will trust Him with all of their being? And you can be that friend if you want to be that friend. People often ask, why in the Bible that says John was a disciple who was closest to the Lord? Do you know why? Because John wanted to be close to the Lord. You see, you can be close to the Lord as much as you want to be close to the Lord. He ain't going to move. It's you who move. It's I who move. Will you be his friend? Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.